You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. We believe in God, right? We say this every Sunday when we stand after the sermon and announce the creed, we believe in God. And we believe that God isn't just some idea or concept or some deity that's tucked away, some, some like remote location from our lives. But we believe, when we say we believe in God, we're talking about a very involved kind of God. That when we gather to worship like this, when two or three are gathered in his name, we believe this God is present and sovereign at work doing something in us. God gave us this world that he created. We're living in it. We get to receive this God, this world, this, this world that God created for us. God gave us this life that right now we don't even notice as we kind of just without even thinking about it, breathe and stay alive. God gave us this life. He gives us direction today and tomorrow with all the challenges that come. He gives us healing in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. And he rescues people. God is so involved. He's so invested in real life. He created it in the first place. God gives us new insight into our own weaknesses, some of our blind spots, things that we wouldn't see without his help. And God reveals more of himself to us. God corrects us when we are jerks and no one else can say it to us, but somehow we just need to see it. God shows us how awful sometimes we can be to people, and he offers correction. God gives us blessing. He gives us justice when we cry out for it, and even when we don't. We believe in God, yes, but the God that we believe in, we believe is really involved. And the way that he is involved in our lives is by giving. Think about this. Everything I just said to you are things that God gives to us that maybe we didn't have before. We believe in a God who gives and gives and gives. And y'all, this is so uncomfortable to wrap your heads around when you're in a relation with, relationship with someone who unconditionally gives to you and gives to you and gives to you. Oof. What do you do with that? It's a lot to process. This giving God, this is what we call the mystery of grace. For some reason, he just keeps giving to us even when we don't deserve it, especially when we don't deserve it, he gives. And in a culture like ours where everything is for sale, every gift has strings attached, everyone's working an angle with everything that they do, the way they serve, the way they give, everyone feels underappreciated, and so many of us are in debt to something. In a world like this, in a culture like this, the simple announcement that God not only exists but gives without strings attached, out of love and out of joy over you, the fact that God gives is so hard to believe, let alone understand, even if you do believe it. But when God and his giving meets real human sin, we see salvation. We see lives turned around, turned upside down. We see the healing that we so much long for in God's giving. About 30 years after the death of, uh, and resurrection of Jesus, in his probably his very old age, St. Paul wrote to a younger Timothy, a protege of his. 
about how his life was changed by the God who gives and gives and gives. What God did in Paul's life is almost unbelievable. And you could hear it from Paul's writing. He was public enemy number one for the church, hunting down early Christians and persecuting the early church. And of all people, Paul is trying to get across to us, if, if God can turn my life around, if I am totally lost and actually attacking what God is doing, not only standing in his way, but showing offense to what God is doing, if the grace of God does this in my life, imagine what could it, it could do in yours, Timothy. In an act of pure generosity and grace by God, Paul's life was totally turned upside down. In the next weeks, uh, we're going to be studying Paul's two letters to Timothy in a series we're calling Grateful. And in it, we're going to be encountering this mystery, this really uncomfortable mystery of God's grace. And here's the thing, though. I don't want to just observe it with you and say, that's cool. I I needed to know more about grace. We want to not only understand God's grace, but we actually want to learn to live on it. That's what it's meant for. That's what we're going to be doing in the next uh, few weeks. So please join us as we take this uh, study, this this walk through First and Second Timothy. We begin in chapter 1, and Paul opens his letter with a greeting, that he is this one who has been commanded by God as an apostle, which is an interesting point, that even Paul himself didn't say, you know what, I feel called to be an apostle. But no, God met him on the road and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and said, you're going to be my apostle. God gave him, you could say, in a fantastic way, this leadership role in the church. And in verse 12, Paul begins with three words. And you can put this on the screen. Look at these three words in verse 12. I am grateful. We could sit down and just come to the table. Paul saying, I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and had pointed me to his service. Look at verse 13. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor and a man of violence. Paul's not exaggerating, y'all. He's not just trying to like make some fantastic point. He was really a blasphemer, someone who curses God. He was really a persecutor, a man of violence, actually hunting down people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. But for all that Paul was, for all the darkness that Paul recognized that was in him, for all the offense that he had caused to God and God's purposes and the church, God's generosity was still much bigger than Paul's offense. Notice who's doing the action in Paul's testimony. Christ strengthened me, right? Christ judged me faithful. Christ appointed me to serve. Who's doing the work here? Paul? Hey, church, you awake? Who's doing the work? This is, Paul. this is Christ. This is the work of God. God giving, despite Paul's rap sheet, despite the fact that he's number one in terms of like public enemies of the church. Here's what Christ did with Paul's life. And in verse 13, the second half of it, is, Paul continues. He says, but I received mercy despite everything that I had done But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
verse 13, I received mercy. Notice, not because he did the right things to receive mercy. Not because he qualified somehow for God's mercy. So why then did he receive mercy? Because God gives. God's generous. He gives. Even in Paul's ignorance and in his unbelief, God gives and gives and gives. He didn't make a a deal with Paul. Paul didn't make a deal with God. God's grace, his faith, and his love spilled over the top in Paul's life. And filled him up. And all because of who Jesus Christ is. Was was God able to be so generous to Paul? It's not that God's overlooking Paul's sins. But it's in Christ, the one who has taken on the sin of the world and atoned for it. That God's grace can flow all the more upon people who are sinful. Who don't deserve it. Who live in darkness. And who even antagonize the church. God still gives. And that giving is possible because of Jesus Christ because of the cross. And so the good news is that we don't have to live in the mess we make, but we actually get a share in the grace of God, in faith, things like faith, which we're going to talk about in a second. Love, they spill over in our lives, not because we've stirred it up or read the Bible correctly or like showed up to church on time and regularly or something like that. We won't talk about that, right? But this is stuff that overflows in your life because of Christ, because of what Christ has done for us. And so this is what Paul is saying. All because of Jesus, who he is, is all the more the reason that God's grace flows in our life, this generosity of God for our sake. So he says, put it on a sticky in your mirror. Name your children after it. Tattoo it on your face. Just don't forget it. Look at verse, 10, this, uh, verse 15. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. Res, listen up, pay attention. Remember this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. Man, come on. When I read this, and honestly when I'm sitting over here thinking about coming to preach, I am, I'm so reminded of my own sin. and thinking, how in the world can I preach a sermon about the grace of God, how God came to save sinners in Christ Jesus? If I, first of all, don't recognize like Paul, yeah, and I'm one of those people. The first and foremost among sinners. What humility. This is the gospel. That Christ incarnate came into the world in the flesh to rescue sinners. Not because they earned it or worked for it or angled for it or have the right credentials. But Christ came to you. Not because they believed and then he came. He came to you. God gives this grace, this uncalled for gift of God, this grace of God in person is our salvation. And that person is Jesus Christ, this gift of God for us. This one truth can be super uncomfortable for people, I think, to embrace uh, and to learn about God who loves sinners and gives them something so wonderful as his own son, grace personified the gift of rescue in his son Jesus, that whole idea can be super uncomfortable to wrap your head around for so many. The fact that they've done nothing to earn this, I think we've all heard that before. Yes, we know we haven't done anything to earn Jesus. Can I say this also? And you do nothing to keep it. I talked to so many of you guys and outside the church who, Sean, I'm struggling with the faith. I have doubts. I'm not sure I can keep going with this. 
and it's so exciting for me to say, that's okay. And to smile and to say, yes, you have doubts. And we'll wrestle with those together. But guess what? Your faith is a gift. It's not even a thing you stir up in yourself, but it's a gift that God gives you and blesses you with. And so if, to deal with your doubts. Face the darkness. Don't be afraid of any of those questions. Face it. Knowing that it's God who holds on to you and you not holding on to God. This is the gift of grace. That in Christ, God holds on to us. Even in our weak faith. This is why it's so important for us every week to say again and again, God, we believe in God, and keep in mind the kind of God he is who sent his son. We believe in a God who gives and gives and gives. Even when we lose it, even when we lose our faith, even when we go astray, even when we go really far astray like Paul, even attacking the church, if God can save someone like Paul, if God's grace still grabs a hold of Paul, it can grab a hold of us. There's no amount of self-determination or willpower or positive thinking that can do what God can do in rescuing us. You know, God is like that shepherd, the psalm said, right? Or the, actually the gospel said. God is like that shepherd where there's 99 sheep and then there's that one stupid sheep who wanders off is going to die out there if they would just stay close. God is that kind of God that says, hey, y'all, hold on a second, and goes and finds that sheep, throws him over his shoulder, and brings him back into the fold. Why would God do something like that? That on paper looks like not a good idea. Why would God do that? Because God loves his sheep. He's eager to love his sheep. He actually likes you, people. God likes you. And when you go astray, he's eager to come find you, even despite you. God is so eager to come find you. That's the kind of God that he is. He gives. He comes to rescue. And not like the way we do, where we put people on the hook and they have some sort of obligation to pay back. God doesn't do it that way. He doesn't expect something in return. So many of us are rescued by God, and still we live lives that are far from God, and God still gives. He still pursues us. He still comes after us. He keeps giving. He doesn't need anything in return, actually, to be whole. But he gives all that he has to us anyway, again and again and again. Do you all see why this can be kind of an uncomfortable relationship? The wonder of God's grace, this mystery God doesn't give you, friends, salvation. He doesn't give you his son, for instance, so that you will feel guilty about it and then turn your life over to him. That's not why he gave his son. He doesn't give you gifts and bless your life and bring you into the fold of a community of faith. He doesn't provide for you in this church so that you'll feel guilty enough that you'll give money back to the church or something. That's not why God gives. God doesn't need your money, y'all. The church, check it out, the church will survive without your money. That's not why God gives to you. And I know that's not why so many of you give either. God doesn't give to us and bless us with gifts so that we can be impressive to others. And then others will say, there's something different about that person. Maybe I should believe in Jesus. That's not why God gives. God doesn't give so that 
We give him more credit because he needs credit and attention. He's not needy like us. And so many times when we think about God, we kind of make him in our image. Well, he must be as needy and as jacked up as I am. That's why he's giving to me, because he wants something from me. It's all backwards. That's all a mistake. It could be so hard to imagine this kind of God who is not insecure and fearful and needy. But listen, a God who is self-sacrificing, loving, full of joy, full of beauty, complete generosity. This is the God that exists. If you believe in any other God, you're an atheist because that God doesn't exist. Or would that be a pagan? I don't know. Friends, uh, real human life was designed to live in a relationship with a kind of God like this who gives and gives and gives. We're actually meant to live on the grace of God. And so when we open our lives to receive God's giving and his forgiving of our sins in Christ, our lives actually are transformed into this living on grace, the grace of God kind of life. It becomes our diet that we can depend on day and night. So whatever you're ashamed of sitting in your seat right now, whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you're afraid of, just think with me as I go through this. What are you ashamed of? What are you super afraid of or worried about? What pride keeps you from realizing that God is talking to you right now about his love for you? What pride is that that keeps you from hearing him? Whatever that is, it is closing you off from receiving the gifts of God and his grace. So abandon it. It is clogging up the gifts of God into your life. So abandon it. Repent, we would say. Turn away from it. Why? Because God is present and at work in your life and he's giving you gifts. What is he giving you? It's not if he's giving you something. He has given you Christ and in Christ has given you all good gifts. What is Christ giving you now? God is giving you something. When we sit in silence after the sermon, when I move this thing over and we all sit over there, you know that moment, everybody? There's a moment of silence. Some of you may think that we lost our place in the liturgy and like, so, you know, everybody's looking around, who's next? We, we actually are doing that on purpose, believe it or not. We're sitting in silence because we really do believe God exists. We believe he is present here and we believe he's at work. And the work that he's doing is a giving work that he's doing. And so we create this silence, of, uh, this space of silence for us to say, God, with open hands maybe, eyes closed, what are you giving me? What's your invitation to me? Can I ask you guys, would you pay attention in that moment of silence, even if you're not sure about God and who he is and the way he gives? I dare you. Even with your arms crossed, just say, Lord, if you're there, what are you giving me? I dare you. Notice what he's giving to you. Notice what he's speaking and how he's at work. And after our silence, we come together, we kneel together, all these sinners line up and we come to receive this meal that we call uh, Thanksgiving Eucharist. It's a meal of gratitude. That's what Eucharist means, Thanksgiving. It's a scandal. This meal is a total scandal to those who can't see their need for it. But for everyone who do realize their deep need for this meal, this meal that Christ is given to us to save sinners is salvation. It's everything for us. It's the body and blood of salvation in Christ. It's our feast of grace. It's the way we hold out our hands and receive the gift of God. You notice that people don't grab from the plate or take the chalice for themselves because we don't have to take in this relationship with God because he freely gives and so we hold out our hands. 
and we receive the chalice. We receive these, these gifts of God's grace to us. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.